0: Snack production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking about the most dangerous country in the world right now. No, it's not over in South America like most of you would think or Africa for that reason. Oh, the Middle East, it's not Syria. It's interesting, Keith isn't it?
1: This is a phrase from uh, Michael Morell, who used to uh, work for CIA. And um, he has said that Pakistan is the most dangerous country in the world. So um, as you say, people probably wouldn't guess that that was the case. Um, so he says, well, it, it maybe not this year, which is 2018, uh, perhaps not next year, but certainly down the road. So what he does is to identify, first of all, that Pakistan has got a big population. It's about 180 million and growing rapidly. Secondly, that growing population is beset with unemployment. It's, unemployment is a global crisis, right? But it, people who are retiring probably are not that worried about unemployment, but you've got a country which is full of young people, ambitious, they want to get ahead, and yet there are no jobs for them. And then thirdly, you've, you've got the whole question of, the military, who are calling the shots. So although you end up with different uh, leaders of that country, it's basically the military who run the country. And, of course, uh, what is important is that Pakistan has got nuclear weapons. It's the only Islamic country with nuclear weapons. And the father of the Pakistani um, atomic bomb was able to sell stuff to Libya and North Korea
0: I still can't believe that a country like Pakistan, it's so bizarre that a country like Pakistan was able to acquire nuclear weapons.
1: Well, they did so because the Indians did, right? You know, if Gandhi were alive today, he'd be horrified, right? Just to give you a bit of quick history. So British India consisted of today's India, Pakistan and Bangladesh, Burma perhaps as well you could throw in there, and also Sri Lanka uh, Ceylon. So that was the jewel in the crown for, of the of the British Empire. And so um, a community predominantly either Islamic or Hindu. And so a campaign began uh, in the beginning of the 20th century for independence for India. And of course, Gandhi ultimately became one of the campaigners for that independence. The Muslims who were also involved in the campaign for independence in the early years, of the 20th century, said perhaps we should create our own separate country, what we now call Pakistan. We should create our own separate country, run it on Islamic lines like Turkey, right? So, um, so you ended up then with Muslims, but they were moderate Muslims who were saying that we should create our own separate country. This was heartbreaking for Gandhi. Gandhi wanted to have all of British India liberated, which he achieved after World War II, but it came at the cost of dividing up India, What today's India and Pakistan. The word Pakistan was actually devised, I think, in the 1930s in a house in Cambridge in England with um, uh, scholars, (coughs) Islamic scholars, who uh, were from Pakistan. And so the P stands for Punjab. A stands for a bit of Af- Afghanistan territory. So it's an acronym. But also, it's an interesting play on words. Stan, there are a number of stands in that area. Urdu means land, Paki means holy or pure. So Pakistan means the land of the pure. Nice play on words. So um, Ali Jinnah campaigned for a separate uh, country. The British, in the lead-up to independence after World War II, said, all right, we will divide out India and Pakistan. Where do we draw the boundary? Because clearly you've got Muslims and Hindus living side by side. And so a committee of three were established, uh, one Hindu, one Muslim, and an Englishman who didn't know the geography at all. This is the way the British do things. So they drew a line on a map and ended up with Pakistan as being West Pakistan and East Pakistan. And uh, the Pakistan then came into being, and when uh, the committee were challenged, now, how can you have a country divided by so much distance of India in the middle of West Pakistan and East Pakistan? The argument was, well, the religious faith of Islam will hold them together. Well, that all finished in 1971 when East Pakistan broke away and created a separate country that we now call Bangladesh. Bangladesh. So Bangladesh is a separate Islamic state, right, Islamic country. So Pakistan is simply West Pakistan, still a large population, 180 million, so it's very significant. Seeing itself always under threat from India. Now, whether that's true or not is another matter, but you've got a lot of people in Pakistan who say the Indians would love to take back West Pakistan and include it within a greater India When India exploded its own nuclear bomb, the Pakistanis said, we've got to start building our own. And thus we end up with this nuclear arms race between these two dirt poor countries. So that was the the late 60s, early 70s. Right. So they then start their their program of nuclear weapons. Two dirt poor countries.
0: Okay, but when we talk about um, dangerous countries in the world. I mean, there was Central America is pretty up there, like some of those countries, and and the way that that, that is sort of defined from my understanding is that you as a Westerner go there and get killed for not much in your back pocket type thing or raped and murdered for because there are gangs, a lot of gangs. Mexico, well, I mean, it's only certain parts, but, you know, that's the way it's sort of quantified, whereas... Do we see that kind of level of petty crime yet in Pakistan or are they preempting that?
1: Oh, yeah, there's obviously a lot of petty crime. There's a lot of corruption. Uh, Corruption is is the one consistent feature all the way through. I've got to say there's corruption in India as well, by the way. It's a nightmare to try to do business in India. I love going to India, but uh, corruption is just so awful. Luckily for Westerners, I don't have any business interests, I just go there for conferences. But if I were to try to run a business, cheap labour, okay, well-educated people, but you're forever having to pay bribes to get anything done.
0: And they don't talk straight, do they? They They're not honest. They're not honest.
1: (laughs) So so India is is not a shining example of honesty either. In Pakistan, corruption is also a major feature in the way of life. They would say, look, we're a dirt poor country, Corruption is how we manage to make even money to feed the children, etc. That's their argument. Um, so the the reason why people get concerned about Pakistan is that it's a country with nuclear weapons, right? Mexico, okay, it's becoming a failed state. It's a narco state, perhaps, and it's a real problem for the Americans, right? And people trying to get in, over the border,
0: yeah, drugs in Central and South America.
1: Yeah, the Americans could stop that by getting off the drugs themselves. You know, Colum- there's no drug problem in Colombia. They grow the stuff, but they know how dangerous it is. But it's the Americans who are stupid enough to keep importing it. So that's a separate issue, right? Pakistan's different. So Pakistan is significant because it's got nuclear weapons, because it is also on the border with India, and the two capitals are actually very close to each other. So a a war between the two countries would rapidly escalate into a nuclear confrontation. And then, of course, you've also got the whole issue of religious extremism in Afghanistan. And so, you know, the Americans are now fighting their longest war, 17 years, and people, are, Americans are still getting killed. And we've had Australians deployed there as well, tragically also a waste of time.
0: So what makes Pakistan, um, is there any element that's got to do with terrorism that makes it quite dangerous? Because we know that that's where... Assam bin Laden was. We know that they have big strongholds there of extreme Islamic activity. So does that play into this whole...
1: Absolutely. So it's very worrying because it is an Islamic fundamentalist society. But again, it's a a tension. You've got an emerging middle class who like education and want to see the country develop. And again, their example is that of Turkey. Remember, we're back to what Ali Jinnah was saying. Turkey... After World War One, got rid of the caliph, became a secular Islamic society.
0: So, secular in that, in their constitution doesn't say that you, everyone has to be Islamic and they don't run as long as they're an Islamic society, but everyone just happens to be Muslim. Well, many, are, but not Majority, all. Majority. Right? Yeah.
1: Many. Um, and so, Ataturk saw himself as the Martin Luther of the Islamic world, bringing about a reformation um, and also seeing the military as the conscience of society. Ali Jinnah had a same point of view for Pakistan. In other words, Ali Jinnah, um, I think, used to drink alcohol, couldn't recite passages <laughs> from the Quran. You know, he, he was a pretty moderate sort of Muslim, but he just simply said, look, we Muslims need to have our own identity, otherwise we're going to be overrun by Hindus. So that, So he was using Islam just simply as a point of communication and identity, rather than being like you see with Saudi Arabia with the Harbis, right? They are your hardline people, right? In Pakistan, he was simply saying we want to be a modern Islamic state, Um, and that has continued. But you've also, and some of those young people today um, who are operating in Pakistan, they like to have you know, the, the Western way of life, but you've also got a fundamentalist streak within Pakistan society, and that is the worry that we've got. Uh, for example, when you had the dispute 30 years ago over um, a novel by um, an, an Islamic writer, you ended up with people getting murdered over a book which most people are not bothered to read. So this is the this is Salman Rushdie's novel. Mm. Um, so th- this is the tragedy that you've got this fervent religious feeling, Islamic feeling, very different from other parts of the world. Perhaps, you know, if you look at what we've got in Indonesia, most of the people there are very easygoing. Okay, they're Muslim, but they're easygoing. Whereas you've got within Pakistan... This modern, pretty secular sort of society that Ataturk would have approved of if he had been in Pakistan. But at the same time, you've got others who are saying, we've got to be strict on our Quran. We've got to follow the Quran, Sharia law, et cetera. Um, and so you, you have within Pakistan these different groupings. It makes governing this young society very difficult indeed.
0: This is global truths with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking about how a uh, a journalist, very well known journalist, has said that Pakistan will be the most dangerous country in the world in the next few years. We're thinking, right? What's the, did he give it a time frame? No, he
1: didn't. He just simply said it's got to be on our radar screen. I think part of the issue here is that we tend to forget about Pakistan. Of course, in Australia, we think a lot about India. You know our links with India, cricket curry and commonwealth. And so we we think a lot about India. And of course, India is going to be very important for Australia as well as the United States. Um, You talk to Bill Gates, he will talk about the Silicon Plateau, right, around uh, Bangalore. So he would say that the future within India is with IT, etc. So India is on our radar screen. Pakistan is not so much on our radar screen. And so uh, Michael Morell is saying, look, we've got to pay attention to what's going on in Pakistan. I think he's really speaking to his fellow Americans who are saying, look, we have difficulties with our geography. It's been said that God created wars to force Americans to pay attention to geography. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> oh, I like that.
1: So uh, I think to this day a lot of Americans have forgotten they're fighting a war in Afghanistan. As you say, you um, the Pakistanis have played a double game with us over terrorism. On the one hand, they are very important for the supply of goods into Afghanistan because you've got to ship goods into Pakistan by road, into Afghanistan, you go through Pakistan. They, they receive money at every twist and turn. So they've done very well out of the American operations in Afghanistan. And then, of course, um, they gave refuge to Osama bin Laden who was living down the road from a major military academy in Abidabad So they've played a double game. They've said we are American allies, but at the same time they're also assisting the terrorist movements, partly because they're, they're realistic, because they're saying, look, Americans come and go. You can't rely on the Americans. We have got to find our own way of learning to live with the extremists in, in Pakistan. We're back to the problem of borders. So you, you've got the Taliban... Pashtuns who straddle the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan. And so the Pakistani government figures Well, look, if we help the Pashtuns in the Taliban, they will not cause problems for our Pashtuns here in Pakistan. Right? So that's part of it. Also, it's a way of keeping pressure on India. So many of the Islamic attacks that have taken place in India have actually been masterminded from Pakistan. It's a way of just continuing to needle India. If you're in India or Pakistan, their problem is always each other. Uh, and the, as I say, the fears that Pakistan have, right or rightly or wrongly, that India will try to take over Pakistan and put it back into a greater India.
0: And they couldn't, though, would they? No. I mean, Kashmir... They... Kashmir
1: is in dispute as yes, well. Yes, yeah. yes.
0: But they, that that's one thing. But... I
1: don't think so. But it's very difficult to have a rational discussion on this point. If you feel threatened by the Indians, as I say, it's a dirt poor country, but they've developed nuclear weapons.
0: Would you go to Pakistan, Keith?
1: I, only by following the, the government's warning. So that's why whenever I'm asked this question, I always say check out smarttraveller.gov.au. Um, I will never give any advice which is contrary to what is actually on smarttraveler.gov.au.
0: But don't you think as well that there are so many places in the world where it's like, oh, this is a dangerous country, but then it's really just isolated to one particular area. So, sorry, the best way I quantify this is that I had friends that were travelling when the Cronulla riots happened in Sydney. Yep, they were travelling through Zimbabwe of all places. And people are like, "Oh my gosh, you're from Australia. It sounds so dangerous there." Yeah. And you like, "That is in one suburb <laughs> in the southern part of Sydney." Yeah. They've got a whole huge country. Yep. But that is one little place, you know? Sure. And that's maybe that's my thinking when you think about a country like Pakistan. Are there just certain areas where you wouldn't go or are we talking that the threat is high enough to avoid altogether?
1: Well, if you're a rich western person, you get your own security. And that can make you safer. But don't forget, Daniel Pearl was an American journalist who was killed in Pakistan. So it can be risky being in in these societies. And we've just got to pay attention to what goes on in Pakistan because who knows what the future will be with that country. As I say, at the moment, the Pakistani authorities say our nuclear weapons are under tight control of the military. But what happens if the country falls apart and the terrorist groups get their hands on those nuclear weapons. That's the issue for us to be reflecting on.
0: It's a good point, Keith. Thank you. Global Truths was presented by Dr Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Live Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.